0: Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Koolangatta podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. In a world that is dominated by narratives of fear, anxiety, and worry, what does it mean that joy is not dependent on outward circumstances, but on the inner state of one's heart? You've joined us in our series, Philippians, where we are exploring what Paul meant when he wrote to have joy in everything and the importance of living in unity among believers for the sake of the gospel. We pray that this message is a blessing. We're actually in week four of our journey through the letter from Paul to the Philippians. And what I love just walking through scripture because you find the gold in it that actually changes our lives, and I want to encourage you today to allow God to bring change, not only in knowledge but change in how we actually live our lives because you know sometimes knowledge just puffs up sometimes knowledge just makes us proud, but what God wants to do, he wants to bring real life change because that affects us and how we live but also the people around us and today we 're going to be picking up where David left off last week in verse twelve. Of chapter 2, and it starts with therefore. So whenever you see in the Bible where it starts with therefore, go back and read what it said beforehand, because it's a response to what went beforehand. And what was said beforehand was that Jesus has been highly exalted. He's been given the name that's above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. And and not Jesus, David, you're almost like Jesus, mate. (coughs) David pulled apart last week this beautiful passage where, where it talks about Jesus' humility, that he didn't, he didn't count equality with God something to be held on to, but he humbled himself, coming in the form of a man, and he humbled himself even to the point of death, death on the cross. And so Paul says in verse 12, Therefore, because of the example of that humility, because he is Lord of lords, he says, My dear friends, As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Before I get into the message today, we're going to pray. So would you please join me? Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. For, Lord, your word is truth. Your word is life. Your word is living and active and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So, God, I pray that you would just help me preach your word with truth, with grace, with love. The Lord, in the end, they would turn and look to you, not to me. Only to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I remember when I first got saved, I used to read a lot of Scripture. I used to hear a lot of Scripture. And and that's where I was getting the knowledge of the Bible, sitting down and reading and reading and reading, which is awesome. But then I realized one day I could sit down in the morning and I could read the entire book of Philippians, the entire letter, and it not changed my life. You know, sometimes we need to stop. We need to actually stop in the Scripture and go, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me walking this out in faith? Because if we're just gathering knowledge, again, that just puffs up. But we need to actually stop and look at Scripture and go, God, how do you want me to walk this out? Like I said at the start, if we we truly understand the gospel, if we understand the love and grace of God towards us, then that must change how we live. So Paul starts off, right at the beginning, he says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For he's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He's like, therefore, what we learn about Christ, his humility, the example of Jesus, he says, you have obeyed that. Whether I'm with you or whether I'm not with you, you've actually obeyed that. And what we see here, there is a responsibility to the gospel in obedience. That when we learn and understand the grace of God, we have a responsibility to respond to that in action, not just knowledge. Jesus says in John 14, If you love me, keep my commands. This is really clear that that the disciples actually have a responsibility. And Jesus is saying, if you love me, if you truly know me, then you'll actually do what I say. And then Paul says, we actually have a responsibility in verse 12. He says, to continue to work out your salvation. And you might be looking at this and going, hang on a minute, is this a contradiction in the Bible? I, I thought our salvation was just given to us as a gift, you're saying we have to work for our salvation now? And you'll often get people come to me, uh, atheists and others, and go, ah, here's a contradiction. You guys reckon it's a gift, but Paul says you've got to work for your salvation. But what we actually find contradictions in the Bible, because when you go into the context, when you go into what was before, you actually recognize Paul's not saying we work for our salvation. He says we work from it. We don't work for God's love, We work from our salvation through God's love. It's like I don't earn my salvation. I've already given that as a gift. So from that place, I move forward. It's much easier to work from from love than for love. It's way more powerful to work from love than for love. It's actually way more genuine to work from love than for love. Because when I work from love, it's not selfish. When I work for love, I'm doing it for myself. You see, one comes from a place of security and one from insecurity. You all know what happens when we work from a place of insecurity, right? Because it all becomes about us. John MacArthur says the meaning of this text is not that the Philippians had to work in order to gain their salvation, but rather they had to work out the salvation that had already been given to them by God. You see, this phrase, work out your own salvation, it's a call to personal responsibility and accountability for our own spiritual growth and development. So the question is, do you live out the gospel? Do you live differently than before you were saved? The Bible is very clear that we have to live a life that actually reflects our salvation. And then Paul continues, he says, work it out, outwork your salvation with fear and trembling. What does this mean? Should we have an element of fear of God? Well, yes, there is an element of fear when we're faced with the holiness of God. Why? Because we're unholy, we're not perfect. And God is all powerful, all knowing, all perfect, and He is holy, He is other than us, and He will judge sin. A.W. Tozer puts it this way The fear of the Lord is not a terrorizing fear, but a reverential awe that comes from a deep understanding of His greatness, His holiness, and His sovereignty. It's not like, oh, I'm so afraid of you that you don't love me. It's like, That awesomeness of you, that you are all powerful, creates this awe and wonder in me. That is the fear of the Lord. And we see this kind of fear in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah actually has a vision of God. He meets with God and he sees God. And he's in this moment where he's face to face with the awesomeness and the glory of God. And in verse 5, he says, Woe is me, I cried. I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He's in this moment. Some translations say instead of I am room, I am undone. From the inside, he stands before this awesome God. And from the inside, he's like, I'm undone before you. I'm a man of unclean lips compared to you. It's just this awesomeness that he's faced with in the person of God. And then in John, John the Apostle. In Revelation, Revelation 1, there's this scene where the fully glorified Christ comes and stands before him. In verse 17, it says, When I saw him, this is John, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. This is John who walked with Jesus for three and a half years. John said, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was the closest one to Jesus. So of all the people, when Jesus appears, he should have been the one to give him a high five and hug him and go, it's so great to see you. But he sees him in all his glory. He sees him fully glorified, and that caused him to fall on his face in worship. If Jesus walked in the room right now in all his glory, we wouldn't be walking up to him, giving him a high five. We just wouldn't we'd all be flooded in our faces in worship. And I think modern day Christians, we've lost a bit of that, that fear and trembling that the early church had for the holiness and the glory of God. You see, holy fear shows us the magnitude, the absolute wonder of his grace, that this holy, awesome being would want to be in our presence, that would want to give us the grace, that would want to come and live in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. God's holiness and grace should never be treated with disrespect, it should be treated with the respect it deserves, but sometimes we just trample grace under our feet and we go, oh no, I can sin, it doesn't matter, I'm forgiven. Where's the reverence for the grace of God? And, and this should actually change how we live. When we understand who God is, it should change who we, who we, do, who we are and how we actually live. J.I. Packer says, Fear and trembling means a sober and reverential awareness of the accountability to God and the seriousness of our Christian walk. Church, outworking our faith is serious. It's not a game. You can't read scripture and not see this in here. There's a call to obedience. But here's the beautiful thing Paul continues to tell us, For it is God who works in you to will and to act. This is the beauty of the gospel that it's God who works in us. When we're saved, we actually desire to do God's will. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine. He's like, I don't want to be a Christian because, you know, I've got to follow all these rules. I'm like, bro, you don't get it. It's not now that I have to follow these rules. God's changed it in me. I desire to follow his ways. I have a new heart. I have a new spirit. It's not like that. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit in us. There should be new desires and new powers in you. You have the Holy Spirit guiding you. But again, we need to obey. Jesus says, if you love me, Keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and and will be with you and will be in you. Here's the beauty of the gospel. Yes, we are called to outwork our salvation, but we are helped through the power of the Holy Spirit that's in us, giving us new desires, new wants, new ways to live our life. Charles Spurgeon says, the work of sanctification is a cooperative effort between the believer and the Holy Spirit as we submit to his leading and strive to obey his commands. So we have the Holy Spirit, this, this helper that comes with us to do what? Well, Paul continues, in order to fill his good purpose. Have you ever wondered, like, what's your purpose in life? Like, what am I meant to do? Well, it's to fulfill God's good purpose. Every Christian, every Christian has a purpose in life. We have a kingdom purpose greater than anything in this world. And there's actually a reward for this, for this purpose, for living this out. And that reward is eternal. Eugene Peterson says, The Christian life, it's a journey, not a destination. The call to work out our salvation is a call to embrace the process of growth and transformation that God has for us. None of us have made it. None of us are there yet. All of us can grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus. We're all called to work out or outwork our salvation by the power of the Holy Spirit and obedience to fulfill God's good purpose. But some who claim Jesus as Lord, they don't obey. That's the truth of it. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, "'Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven.'" Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Like this verse, it's sobering, right? Because it's what it's saying is there are people out there who claim to be Christians, but they're actually not. And on the day of judgment, when Jesus returns, he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. We never had a relationship. Why? Because of disobedience. Because they were practicing evil. They didn't understand the grace that God had given them and they trampled it under their feet. Have you ever met someone who claims to be something but isn't? You know, when I was working on the walls and I became a Christian, this guy says to me, yeah, I'm a Catholic. I'm a Christian too. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. What does that mean? he goes, oh, I don't know. And I go, well, how, how are you a Catholic? He goes, oh, I got baptised you know, when I was younger, when I was a baby. I'm like, oh, cool. So like, um, you believe Jesus? He's like, oh, I don't know if he was a real guy or not. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, do you believe that there was any miracles? He's like, oh, I don't know about that. I'm like, do you believe the Bible? He goes, nah, I don't believe the Bible. I'm like, oh, bro, I don't think you're a Catholic. All right? Because true believers in Jesus, they obey and they work out their salvation. And he will actually give us the power to fulfil his good purpose. But that makes me ask the question then, what exactly is God's purpose for our lives? Well, Paul knew you would ask that question. So he actually tells us that God wants us to shine bright in the darkness. He starts with, do everything without grumbling or arguing. What's the key word here? Everything. Now that's hard, right? Because there's some good things to argue about. There's some good things to complain about. But God doesn't like complaining. We have an example of God's disdain for complaining when we look at the Exodus story in the Old Testament where the nation of Israel had been brought out of slavery, out of Egypt. They're in slavery been there for 400 years and they come out in the wilderness and almost straight away they start whinging to God. We'd be better back there. What are we doing out here? They're on their way to the promised land. There's this journey and they complain time after time after time and God judges them in the wilderness. He judges in there. God does not like complaining. And we Christians, we can be just like the Israelites sometimes, right? We can just complain and complain, complain against God. But we've been set free from Satan and sin, that that thing that held us captive. But we complain and argue, even though we're on the way to a promise, eternal life, the promised land of a dwelling place with God for eternity. And we need not to complain and argue so much. But unfortunately, most of the complaining in Christians is in the church. We have 65,000 different denominations because we complain and argue against each other. We can't even have unity sometimes. Have you ever met a person who just constantly complains? where just everything, they're just every day, they're complaining about absolutely everything. You could have the most perfect day, taking the most perfect dinner, and they're like, you're like, how awesome is this? And they're like, I don't like the color of the tablecloth. They shouldn't have this colour in here. It doesn't match anything. I'm never coming back here. You're just like, oh my gosh. What is wrong with this person? <laughs> right? They just complain about it. It's draining. Amen? It's draining when someone's that bad complaining. And I'm not pointing the finger. I'm probably one of the best complainers you'll find. I'm great at it. I'll pick something and I'll complain about it and carry on with the best of them. So there's, when, I write, when I write these sermons, I'm like, yep, thanks God. I need a reminder about that. But what I realise when I'm complaining it always comes from a place of selfishness. It's actually always about me. It's always about me getting what I want or not getting what I want. Does this mean we don't point out something that's wrong? No, there is a difference though because there's a difference between selfish whinging and seeing a problem and bringing a solution to benefit all. There's a big difference there. When you see something, it's like, okay, how can we make this thing better? This probably isn't great. Rather than going, you don't do this and I want this. There's two different things there. And this is what I love about the Twin Towns congregation. Where we started here back in 2020, they came to us. It wasn't about their selfishness or what they wanted. They were like, we're willing to lay everything down to see the kingdom of God advance. And we're just so thankful that it wasn't about complaining or arguing. They could complain every single week that we don't have old hymns and we don't have the things that they're used to, but they don't. Because it's not about them. They have a different vision of who God is. And here's the thing. Jesus never complained about his life or mission. Did he ever complain? But he had the right to complain, right? Think about this for the moment. He created the world and we continue to destroy it and pillage it. He created humanity and they rejected him. He was abused. He was spat on. He was mocked. He was nailed to a cross and he was murdered by those he gave the gift of life to. Just those few things would be enough to complain about, right? Like if that was me, I'd be complaining to the Father all day about my situation, complaining about the people around me, but not Jesus. He humbled himself in obedience to the Father for the salvation of the world without complaining. Hussie Sproul says, A Christian who is characterized by complaining and arguing reveals a lack of faith in God's sovereignty and a lack of gratitude towards His grace. And Paul continues, if we're not arguing and complaining, he says, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God in a warped and crooked generation. If we want to be children of God, we want to reflect the Son of God. We want to reflect Jesus. We need to actually quit complaining about everything and actually be thankful for our salvation, our opportunity to glorify God in this world. Because this world is warped and dark, amen? This world is twisted in so many ways, it's twisted in its thinking. Just take sex, for for instance. God made this a beautiful thing between a husband and wife. And we've just taken the world has just gone and twisted that. It's just like it's just a pleasurable thing. Do it with as many people as you like. Let's start the whole porn industry where we're destroying people's lives and we charge for this. We've gone and twisted what was beautiful. Take money, for instance. Money is not evil. Money can be used for great, great good. But we go and twist that, Right? People's lives are fully committed to getting as much of it as they can. They will cheat. They will lie. They will run over people to get it. Money has been twisted. Marriage has been twisted. We think it's just a contract now. We don't see it as a covenant. We look at relationships, possessions. All this has been twisted by the world. And it seems like it's getting worse and worse. But unfortunately, Paul warns us in 1 Timothy that this will actually, it'll be our reality. He says, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the form of godliness but denying its power. Can I get an amen to that scripture? Is that not a description of the world we live in? This is exactly what we see when we turn on the news, when we turn on the TV, when we look at social media and we observe how people are actually living and treating each other. And we're continually complaining about the world, the government, our situation, our family, our friends and not bringing any solutions. I mean, look at social media. It's, had, it's, it's just enhanced that opportunity to complain and ridicule from a distance with no consequences. I can just get on here and complain and ridicule and bag out without even seeing someone face to face. I believe Paul here, the world's twisted. But if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, doing the will of God without complaining, Paul says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You see, if we outwork our salvation, we will, the key word is will shine in the darkness. You ever gone outside and looked at the night sky? You go out and you look up and there's so much more darkness, right? But what do you notice? You know the beauty of the stars. You notice the light. You don't even look and go, oh, look, that darkness looks cool. No, no, no. You're looking up in the darkness and you actually see the light. You see, darkness is just the absence of light. Light overcomes darkness. Think about this. When you walk into a dark room, what do you do? You turn the light on. Darkness flees. Darkness cannot overcome light. And here's the thing. Jesus calls us to be light that overcomes the darkness in the world. In Matthew 5, he says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone who's in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's a beautiful example of where Paul has got this teaching from. Jesus like, you're the light of the world. I've placed you in the world that you would be like those stars, that they would stick out, that people would see it and actually glorify your Father in heaven. So how? How do we bear this light? Well, it's through our salvation. It's through work outworking the gift of grace. It's through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's through being different, not complaining. It's through the light of Jesus Christ that's in us. You know that Jesus is the light. In John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says, I'm the light of the world and I'll be in you. And if I'm in you, you will not walk in darkness. You see, this darkness of the world, it can be overwhelming, but the light of Christ in us is greater and it has the power to transform people's lives, individuals and the world. Do you have the light of Christ in you? Ephesians 8 said, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And I say amen to this. I was living in darkness before I was saved, I was blind. I didn't understand what was going on, but God illuminated that in me. And now I have a responsibility to actually live that out. Live as children of light. Do you shine like a star in the night sky? Do you shine bright and twisted? and crooked generation. Charles Spurgeon says, Christians are called to be light in the darkness. A spirit of joy and gratitude in the midst of complaining and arguing world is a powerful witness to the love and grace of God. And how do we do this? Well, we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul tells us, as we hold firm to the word of life. Our foundation is the word of God because the word of God reveals it's a revelation of Jesus, of the Father and the Holy Spirit. We will be a contrast to the world if we hold firm to the Word and what we see in there. You see, God's Word is in stark contrast to the morals and behaviors of the world, amen? The Bible, God's Word is our light. It's our direction for human flourishing and for a peaceful, purposeful life. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your Word is a lamp for my feet, a light unto my path. Church, shine bright. Hold fast to the truth of God's word, to the glory of God the Father. And if we do this, we can actually look forward with joy to the day that Jesus returns. He says, and then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ. I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I'm poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. He talks about this day of Christ. This is the day that that Jesus returns. It's like the day of the Lord. There's many different words for it, but this is when Jesus returns and judges all humanity, where those who don't know him are judged, but those who know him are given a reward. And Paul's actually looking forward to this. And this is what motivated Paul's life. The fact that he believed in God's promises that he would fulfill that on the day of Christ. Sinclair Ferguson says, The day of Christ is a day of joy and celebration as we rejoice in the victory that he has won for us over sin, death, and the powers of darkness. He says, I've not run in vain or labored in vain. I've actually fulfilled my God-given purpose that he's given to me in my life. You see, Paul is a faithful servant of Jesus. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus tells so many parables and stories about, about servants about those that serve him and those that don't serve him. And one of those is in Matthew 25 where this servant actually fulfills what God called him to do. He was faithful with what God asked him to do. And this is the reply. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I put you in charge now of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. How many of us on the day of the Lord would love to hear those words from Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Paul says, I I am glad and I rejoice. His joy is in God. His joy is in the mission. His joy is in the promise to come. His joy is in his faith. It's not in his circumstances or his possessions. He says, so you too should be glad and rejoice. Church, rejoice in obedience. Rejoice in your purpose, rejoice in your salvation, and find joy in the day coming when Jesus returns. You know, we all have a day coming that we look forward to, right? There's all days in our lives where we, we look forward with joy like a wedding day. You look forward to a wedding day, it's a day that's going to be full of joy and happiness and beauty. You know, everything's organized and you're ready to go, or when you're going on a holiday. You're going on this amazing holiday and you're looking at it going, it's cool, I've got it paid, I've got all the, everything booked, I've got all the holidays, I'm looking forward to this, I'm fully prepared to go. You see, knowing everything is fully prepared or paid for, you actually look forward to day, that day and that helps you get through those last few weeks of work, right? Because you have this thing you're looking forward to, it's like I can endure this because like, in a couple of weeks, I'm off. Why? Because that holiday is coming. So too, Christians should look forward to the day of Christ. Knowing that it's fully paid for, that we will have this amazing life. And this helps us endure this life now because there is something to come that is far better than what we have now. And this is the reason why Jesus came. There was a debt that needed to be paid. And Jesus came that He would take that debt upon Himself on the cross, They He would pay that for you and me. There was a cost that needed to be paid because of our sin that gives us access to the day of Christ, gives us access to the presence of God, that gives us access into his kingdom. And Jesus has paid that price and he's taken that sin and buried it in the grave. And when he rose again, it was this receipt saying, yep, yeah, that has been paid for you guys. You guys now can look forward to that day when he returns. This is the beauty. This is the beauty of the gospel Eugene Peterson says the day of Christ is a day of consummation. When all that is broken and imperfect in this world, will be made whole and perfect in Him. Church, if we outwork our salvation with a holy fear and trembling, not complaining, but being light in the darkness, we will see transformation, not only in our lives, but in the lives around us. And people will see this light in us and maybe, just maybe, turn and put their faith in God all to his glory. We don't labor in vain, but we labor for the sake of the gospel and the saving of souls. What better purpose could we have in life? What better purpose could you have than being agents of the king, servants of the Lord, partakers in the mission of salvation, agents of his grace and his love to shine bright in the darkness? Hear these words and don't just put them in your head mentally but ask yourself, how do I live this out? Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we just thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word does pierce us in our heart. Lord, for your word is truth. I pray today that your word would go deep into our heart, into our soul, into our mind. Holy Spirit, would you even come in this moment? Would you reveal to each and every one of us, how do we walk this out in the areas we find ourselves, in the areas of influence that we have? Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And just in this moment, I just feel that there's there's a bit of fear. Fear of stepping into purpose, stepping into what God has for your life. And I just want to say to those people, it's that's where the abundant life comes from. That's where the life full of peace and joy, regardless of circumstance, blossoms. And you might be sitting there, and you've never actually received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never received that payment for your sin. And the Bible declares that he loves you, that he died for your sin. He wants to wipe it away. He wants to forgive you. He wants to make you his son or his daughter. And so that's on offer right now. I love if in this moment, as we all have our heads bowed, I'd love to pray for you. So if that is you, I'd love to just put your hand up now. I'd love to pray for you. Lord, we just thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your love for each and every one of us. God, make your gospel, the reality of your grace, so real in our heart. May we see the awesomeness, the holiness of who you are, that that would manifest itself in us in love, in grace, in truth, that we would be light in the darkness. And all God's people said, amen. Would you like to stand as we worship the Lord together? Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page.